Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. We're trying something new, something a little different. Since the podcast is still so new, we can kind of... Experiment. Do what we want. Yeah. So we already talked about Train to Busan in our usual format, which is when I discuss it sort of through the synopsis, which I feel like it helps facilitate discussion because it gives us the chance to recall everything that happens in the movie. But when we do the, like, books with Kate, we don't really cover the synopsis. We just freeform discuss it. So I kind of wanted to see what would happen if Matt and I just freeform discussed Train to Busan. So this might be successful. Might be a shit show. But it's going to be an interesting shit show. Matt chuckled. <laughs> so this is our take two of Train to Busan. Without notes. So, let's just see how this goes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Now that Pippin's exited the room, we can have a noise-free discussion. For now. No comments from the peanut gallery. <laughs> All right, so first off, what's your hot take on Train to Busan? Just off your head, if you were leaving a review on, say, Rotten Tomatoes, what would you type up? Great action. Great emotion. Wow, this is going to go real, real good. Like, I can tell just... I mean, <laughs> this is like in uh, The Fifth Element when Bruce Willis is talking to Ruby Rod and yeah. he says all that stuff and then he holds the microphone up to Bruce Willis and he's like, fine. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. Are you green? Super green. <laughs> I'm mildly green. Well, I'll give my hot take and then maybe that will inspire your hot take. It will heat up your takes because you, I'm getting some lukewarm takes right now. So, zombie movies in general. Not something we watch a ton of. No. No. I'm not a fan. No. Generally because they sort of lack a plot. Or if they do have a plot, it's like... And they lack character development. Yeah, they're usually, yeah, very one-note characters. Um, it's just sort of a cannon fodder movie uh, for the type of people that enjoy a monster movie. Where you just have overwhelming number of monsters insurmountable obstacles and heroic deeds done by heroic people. Or you just have a total slash fest intestines all over the place, blood snarling, flesh eating sounds. Um, none of these things are really our wheelhouse. Uh, we tend to be very like visually striking, well-directed, great dialogue, complex characters, complex characters. That really tends to be what we've, what we drive towards. Um, those are the signposts on the roads that we like to drive on. So Train to Busan is kind of an outlier because it's a zombie movie that we both really enjoy. But it's got a lot of what we love. It's got really well-developed characters. Visually striking. It's visually striking. I mean, it's very impressive how well-developed these characters are considering it's just like a bunch of people on a train. Right. We don't get sets. We don't get multiple days. This is one continuous from the time they get on the train. Really, the only time jump is from the evening after Gong Yu's character gets home and he talks to his daughter, Suan, to the next day. And after that, it's pretty much just... It's on. almost real time, like the viewer on the train. Yeah. So, like... The extent of the movie up until Sung Kyung and Suwon are alone on the engine. It's about that's, two hours. That's probably the only other time jump. Yeah. So 
we're on this train with the people in real time until everyone's dead. Yeah. So it's impressive the amount of character development they fit into this. Yeah. So one and of we the, don't even really have any flashbacks either. No, not none. Yeah, it's I guess there's no flashbacks. All just character driven character development. The interaction of the characters is what drives the character development. And I think it's because we have such dynamic, interesting characters. Even, even my love to hate him bad guy, Hyunsuk, Um, he doesn't get what I would call character growth, but he is a character. I mean, he's a, he has... He changes in intensity. He changes in intensity for sure. Because when we first meet him, he's just that guy on the train that's telling the conductor about somebody in the right. bathroom. He's already the like hyper judgmental asshole who's very selfish. Right. Because we get that thing where he's like, oh, he must not have gone to college or he must not have whatever. Talking about the homeless guy. And so Suan says, my mother says the types of people that say that are assholes. He's like, oh, I bet your mom didn't do good in school. <laughs> so we just get a lot of really pithy, well-meted-out dialogue. And the dialogue generally serves a purpose, even if it just feels funny at the time. Um, oh, you, another thing I really like about it is all of our, all of our characters are not heroes to start with. So, Suk Woo, Gong Yu's character. Sang Hwa is the hero. Sang is a hero from, I mean, you can't ha look, with great power comes great responsibilities, and with great biceps comes great power. The responsibility to punch <laughs> zombies in the face. <laughs> okay, so he came into this life knowing he was just going to. He was just waiting for the zombies to show up. Lay the smack down on some evil. And Sangwa did it. He rose to the challenge. How could he not with those biceps? He could climb anything. <laughs> There's no, no insurmountable obstacle. Is it really evil, though, if it's mindless? Ah, that's a good question. And one we will definitely get to. But Seok Wu, Gong Yu, who is ostensibly our main character, if anybody's a main character. Yeah is not a hero to start with. He's extremely selfish. He's a kind of a jerk. He's kind of a jerk, yeah. Because he gets on the train only because uh, he's... Guilted into it. Guilted into it. <laughs> because his daughter couldn't sing her song at school because she was going to sing for him and he didn't show up. And his negligence was you know, kind of backfired on him. Yeah, so he was like, fine, fine. I'll take you to see your mother, which the mother's not even present. We don't hear her. We hear her on the phone. Do we actually hear her voice? Or is he just responding to... We hear her on the phone when she's talking to him. Yeah. I don't know if we hear her when she's talking to Suwon. Yeah, but we never see her. And right. after that interaction, nobody can get a hold of her again. Where whatever happens to her in Busan, she's unreachable. Right. The next time they try to call, it just rings through to voicemail. Yeah. But for the good first third of this movie, Seok Woo is out for himself. I mean, he's doing what he has to do at work. He's obeying his superior's instructions, even though it's going to ruin this company. He gets his daughter the wrong gift. He He doesn't even try to like minimize his time in the office. Yeah. To the detriment of his mother and daughter. He even counsels his daughter on not being good. He's right. like, you don't have to be that nice. Right. Don't He's the give things like, up for stereotype of the hardworking, like Asian office guy. Yeah. Oh, but there's the part where she gives her seat up to one right. of the sisters. Right. And he's like, don't. Do you don't that. have to do that. You don't have to be the good person here. You need to look out for yourself. And then later, she actually tells him, she's like, how come my dad isn't the hero? Like, why aren't you the good guy? And I think this is a moment of revelation for Seok Woo, because I think he saw himself as the good guy because he was doing everything that it took to protect his daughter. He was doing everything that he could at work 
to protect his daughter. And then in this situation, he was doing everything he could to protect his daughter. But she wasn't seeing it as beneficial. She was seeing it as selfishness. Right. Greed. Maybe he was a little one-dimensional on what it takes to, you know, support and protect his daughter was make lots of money. Yeah. And that's all he needs to do. Oh, all the other stuff. Uh, my mom's, you know, living in the house with me, taking care of my daughter. She'll take care of all the, you know, blah, 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 blah stuff. I just need to go to the office and do a really good job and be a really good fund manager yeah. to support my family. And There's- he doesn't realize the emotional impact of that worldview on his daughter. Right. And I don't think he realizes that Suan sees him for who he is. Because there's that part when we first meet, or the, not when we first meet, but one of our first real conversations with Sanghua and Seung Kyung, the fisticuffs husband and the pregnant lady, is when they're waiting to keep moving forward. After the zombies have already infested part of the train, they're in a safe area, but everybody's kind of condensing up towards the front to prepare to get off at the next station. And Sanghua asks Suan what her dad does because Gong Yu stepped out for a minute to be on the phone. And Suan says, Oh, he's a fund manager. Oh, so he's a bloodsucker. Yeah. So, yeah. Sanghua's like, Oh, so he's a bloodsucker. He's a leech. And uh, Seung Kyung kind of chastises him for saying those mean things about Suan's dad. And Suan's like, It's okay. It's what everybody's thinking. So she sees him for who sh- he is. She's aware of how people view her father. Yeah, but I don't think he knows that she sees him that way. And so I think when she does tell him, I, why is my dad not the good guy? Like, why can't you be the good guy? Which is what she tells him when she realizes that they're going to another square after they get off the train, that first station. Right, and he's following the, the advice that he got from a co-worker right. to go to a different area of the city yeah. where they had... But maybe that corporation had their own like private security force. I think it's more like he works with a lot of people in a lot of different companies. And so he contacts somebody in a business, like a high up person. Right. right. Somebody there yeah. that he knows. Whatever. His inside man. He contacts his inside man. He tells him to go to this other square, not the main square, and he'll get him out. And so they, instead of going with everybody else, they turn. And Suan's like, oh, then we should tell everybody else. And he's like, no, 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 this is just for us. And that's when she has her moment of, why are you like this? Why are you like this? I want you to be better than this. And I think from that point on, really, is when we get the most character development out of Gong Yu's character, Siak Wu. Because after that, we get the clip with Song Hwa where he realizes shit's gone sideways. And he like vaults, like picks his wife up, puts her over the rail, the like banister from the down escalator to to the steps. Yeah. And then he leaps over and they start running up because, of course, they've just seen a bunch of zombies. And then when we meet, when those two character storylines collide again, Siokwu is a more compassionate character. He's finally working together and they work together to hold the zombies back. Yes, and they hold the door shut. And that's the first time they're a team. Yeah, and then when we get back to the train, when we get our super cool sequence where Songhua is like battering ramming zombies out of the way uh, with a riot shield while Gong Yu is holding his hand out for him. Gong Yu is holding his hand out for him, which is a huge contrast to their first interaction, which is when Gong Yu shuts the door in Songhua's face. Because the zombies are coming from behind him, and he's only concerned about saving him and his daughter. He's not concerned about even saving the pregnant lady. Right. So are the zombies the real villain in this movie? No. No. And I think that's why we like it. Because it's not just, oh no, zombies. It's, okay, there's zombies, and they're horrific, and Right, and well evil done. requires malice. Right. But... The real villain is like selfishness and greed and also like the lack of or the incompetent government response, because we even get that clip at the very beginning where it's some kind of government official 
And he's like, guys, we got everything under control. This is minor. Don't panic. Everything's going to be fine. Just stay in your house. We're working on it. Clearly, it's not okay. It's not okay. Because our first station that we stop at is overrun. And then the second station that they actually managed to stop at, there's like debris on the tracks that have lit on fire. There's whole train engines just running down the track on fire. Like, shit's on fire. Nothing is okay. But this government official is assuring everybody it's fine. So every time it's like, well, the government's got it under control in this city, it's a lie. It's never true. So it's incompetence. But it's also, like, greed, which Yun Suk yeah. is Yun-Suk really... Yun Suk wants to get back to Busan. Well, he's really our, like, embodiment of selfishness and greed. Right. And I'd say the other thing that's highlighted as, like, the culturally negative aspect of this movie is Yun Suk as the, like, selfish, self-centered person in the car with all the other people and all the other people go along with him in expelling yeah. Gong Yu they and his group of concede people. concede to his will. They, because he's been kind of just ramping them up to yeah. be afraid of this group of survivors. Yeah, they're willing to be led by him, even though he's obviously not a, not the moral compass that right. you want to Right, and then the conductor use. is there, and then the conductor keeps deferring to Yunsuk. Yeah. Which seems like a an abdication of responsibility. He right. doesn't want to be any kind of confrontational. Okay. Uh, you're, you're being the loudest voice here. I'll do whatever it takes to get you to stop yelling at me. Well, he plays on their fears, right? Well, Yon Suk does. Yeah, yeah. So it's like after Siok Wu breaks in after the whole, after they travel through all the, all the train cars and they get to that train car, and they finally get in it. They finally get the door open, and Syuk Wu punches Yan Suk in the face. He, I mean, he deserves it. It's a glorious moment. I'm glad at least somebody got to punch Yan Suk. Mm-hmm. But he's like, "Look, he's changing. You can tell. Look, he's one look of them. in his eyes. He's one of them." And Gong Yu's just standing there, like, "What the fuck? I'm not one of them." Look look at my eyes, what? But they're all just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And that's when they end up sending them out into the vestibule farther up the train. Because, or farther back, probably. Farther back in the train. Because they're willing to believe him. Even though it's obviously untrue. It's a very herd mentality thing. Right. He He seems to just stand there in response. Like, guys... I'm not a zombie. Yeah. Look at me. I'm just standing here calmly. I'm not attacking anybody. And so we seem to just stay on him for probably a minute straight of him just standing there staring everybody down. Right. As an expression of... You gotta be fucking kidding me. (laughs) It's what it looks like. Could I do this if I wasn't a zombie? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to punch him. That's what zombies do. They punch people. No, that's, well, maybe the Songhua zombie punches people. <laughs> oh, Songhua. That's the saddest one. I mean, it's sad when Seok Wu gets turned into a zombie, but the Songhua one is really sad because it's one of the first ones of our core group that gets turned into a zombie. And now we realized that there's stakes, that anybody could be lost. Not everyone's getting out of this alive. So we know we really like this movie. We mentioned that several times. Do you think there's something that could make this movie better? Or do you have a criticism of this movie? Something that bugs you every time you watch it? I'll go ahead and say mine. So there's the part where Sangwa gets bit, which obviously one of my least favorite parts because I love Sangwa, but mm-hmm. not my least favorite part in that I don't like the narrative aspect of it, just in that, ah, that sucks. However, the only thing sticking through the door on the one side are hands, not faces. So had they just 
covered that glass door with something, the zombies wouldn't have been able to see through it. Theoretically, they would have stopped attacking the door. That's a good point, but it's they may also be smelling. But well, I guess the No, because when we the do dark, the train tunnel stuff, yeah. they don't smell them because they're able to just like sneak right by them. Yeah, they probably didn't want to feel like the characters were like gaming the system. Like here's a very refined simple set of rules uh that in the moment they can't always remember. Yeah. That makes sense. It's a it's a heightened situation. Plus they don't really have access to anything necessarily right. to cover the window, but that always bothers me a little bit. <laughs> that well, I mean, we could have just covered the glass and they would have been like, "What? What? Oh, there's nobody in there now." It's weird. Why they is my just hand disappeared. Why is my hand through the door? They're like to- they're like t- uh, babies when babies haven't learned object permanence yet. Mm-hmm. As long as they can't see them, they won't know they're there. They won't even exist anymore. But oh well, we don't remember. And Songwa gets bit. Honestly, I'm not sure I have anything that I think besides just a couple. Plot wise, of- I don't have any criticisms. No, this movie does not feel two hours long. No, it never does because I think because we get periods of rest, and then we get periods of action. And the periods of rest and the periods of action are really well balanced. So we get just a little bit of, oh, just a chance to, to unwind a little bit. And then we get a, oh my God, what's going on? Like, we get a period of rest and then we get the station where they stop at that first station and we have a lot of action there. And then we get back on the train. And then we kind of have a period where, yes, some of our characters are in mortal danger. But there's nothing really happening. And then we get the traveling through the train cars sequence, which is one of my favorites. And it ends with Songhua getting bit, them getting into the next car and moving up to the vestibule. And then we have a period of rest again. So every time we have these heightened emotional moments, we get a second to breathe before the next one comes. So you don't end up feeling fatigued. Yeah, I think another thing that separates this from a lot of other zombie movies is there's no that you're staying inside the train, right? Yeah, you're staying inside just the immediate sphere of experience of all the characters that you're following. Normally, I guess in a lot of other zombie movies, there's always some plot arc about the cure, and you have to have this zoom out and see, okay, what's happening. You know, across the country or what, yeah. across the entirety of the area that's affected by the zombie outbreak. You don't even have that. Right. You have, like, occasionally you have a screen on the train that's showing, like, the national news or something. But here, you're in, you're in the immediate sphere of experience of the main characters for the entirety of the movie. Yeah, we don't jump so around. So you don't break it. Yeah. You don't break the scope. The only place we really jump is to like see what Yan Suk is up to. And that's pretty much it. Or because there's that one part where they're all separated. And we do jump perspectives during when they're all separated. Right. And as soon as they're back together. But only on the train. But we're never hopping out to like some war room at the military government level of, oh man, there's whatever here and oh yeah and there's probably some survivors on this train that's headed to busan right right we don't ever see the train from outside the train riders experience another thing i like is i don't feel like any of the characters make decisions that are solely based on driving the narrative nobody makes an out of character dumb decision right all of it makes sense. There's not a moment where I'm like, oh, that was so stupid. The only reason they did that is because they would have all been safe otherwise. And now we had to do this so that they're not safe anymore. The only real dumb decision maybe is that Sangwa grabs the edge of the door <laughs> instead of like keeping his hand pressed. Right. To but the I door. think that happens because Sangkyung comes into the car and he's kind of distracted. Uh, and then his hand slips, so he moves forward to grab a different part of the door. Yeah. 
I think I just didn't want Song Hwa to get bit. And so yeah. I'm trying to figure out a way out of that. And there isn't because the movie's done and it's made. <laughs> right. He, he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't negligent. He wasn't being stupid. He got distracted by his wife and yeah. made a mistake, a completely plausible mistake. Everything that happens feels plausible. Feels plausible. Character-wise. It doesn't feel like it happens just to drive the narrative forward. Right. Yeah. Except maybe the flaming engine knocking <laughs> a train over. But that's not a character decision. That's just a... That's an external environment decision. <laughs> right. Like, why is everything right. on I fire? I think that's to, just to show how, how chaotic messed up everything else is. Yes. Yeah. It's because we're playing with the perception of Korean culture, which is that it's orderly and well-managed. Right. And in this situation, all of the orderly systems yes. are failing. Right. So it's the order and the cleanliness and the neatness of what we perceive of Korean culture is only so deep. As soon as something happens, the government can't handle it. The military can't hold it back. Shit's on fire. People are dying everywhere. That's what we're supposed to see. It's an element of horror in and of itself. The Even at the beginning when he sees all those emergency vehicles drive by, and he looks over and we see the burning building reflecting in the window of mm -hmm. his car. He's really unconcerned. Gong Yu is like, it's fine. Like, oh, it's just a fire. They'll They're, put it out. They'll whatever. put it out. I mean, that looks serious, but people are handling it. I don't have to be concerned about it. Right. I, I can already see the emergency crews around the way. Yeah. So whatever. It's, it's being handled. I don't have to worry about it. And But what happens when it isn't being handled when it isn't being stopped well everything falls apart immediately apparently so did you think of anything you feel like oh you don't have any criticisms i guess is what you're saying yeah there's not enough gong you i have a direct criticism it's serious what is it and if they ever release a director's cut i want it remedied gong you at no point in the entire movie takes his shirt off I was expecting that's what you were going to say. <laughs> um, I'll, it's a flaw. Songhua also, those biceps are impressive. I'm just saying. Yeah, and he looks pretty trim in this movie. Yeah, they both do. And yet yeah. no one ever gets shirtless. Even when they use their shirts to tie the door shut, nobody's not wearing a shirt. Well, they all have luggage. Uh, they have other people's luggage. Dead people's luggage. Dead people's luggage. Yeah, because only th two people survived this train. <laughs> Mostly because of Yan Suk. Okay, who wouldn't have died if Yan Suk wasn't an asshole? Songhua wouldn't have died. Songhua wouldn't have died. Everyone in that train. Everyone in car 15. Everyone in survived. car 15. The conductor, the engineer. The engineer, the engineer have would have survived. Yep. And most of our core group. Because at that point, nobody had, nobody died. Not really. Uh, one of the, the Gill sister that gets left behind in car 14. That only happens because, uh, because of the Sangwa incident. Right, because they all have to rush. Because they all have to rush. Yeah. Yeah. If they'd just been able to, like, get everybody in. Right. If car 15 had just let them in. Yeah. Then... Songhua would have been able to hold the door long enough for everybody to get through. Yeah. And then he himself would have been able to run through and have the car 14 door yeah, shut Yeah, just shut the him. door behind him. They could have let that car get overrun. Yep. But been able to get into car 15. Yep. Yeah, loads more people would have survived if Yan Suk wasn't out for himself. Yeah, you, the engineer would have survived and you'd have like 20, 30 people on the engine to busan yeah and then you'd have to rename the movie engine to busan engine to busan just train to busan is it a train if there's only one piece yeah sure what makes a train a train that's what you're asking uh i don't think car i don't know i don't know questions for the ages i think as long as it runs on a track it's a train
That's what I'm going to go with. So do we think this movie is new and inventive? Or is it just a creative retelling of old tropes? I'd say a creative retelling is inventive. Yeah. I don't think anything is new in this movie. Not really. Right. There's nothing revolutionary yeah, about it. Yeah, there's nothing revolutionary. I'd say it's just a better execution of a zombie survival story. Yeah, and I'm never mad at the recycled trope. I love a good trope. Tropes are good. Every single story is the same story. Don't pretend it's not. It's all the same. It's the hero's journey. Start to finish every single time. Not every story is the hero's journey. But just Most stories are the hero's journey. Good stories. <laughs> Most good stories are the hero's journey. But just accept Tragedies it. are not the hero's journey. Right, but... I mean, most, but we have like, what, four or five story archetypes effectively, right? That we recycle constantly. Right. Yeah. Just accept it. There's a handful. Yeah. But it's not just one. We love them for a reason. It's because we use stories to. Right. They're useful. Yeah. To teach behavior, to teach consequences, which is why a story that doesn't go anywhere is so unsatisfying because you don't learn anything. You don't experience anything. You just witness something. So when I watch most zombie movies, I feel like I'm just witnessing something that I didn't really want to witness, which is usually people eating intestine. I don't what what the fuck is up with intestines in zombie movies? It's uh, like a jump scare. There's a book I bought that I'm planning to read called Zombies in Western Culture. Oh, nice. It's a like a cognitive science psychological analysis of the role of zombie movies uh, as a representation of what's been happening in Western culture. Right. I mean, that anyway, makes sense. We, they, I think we should it's review because, that book. Oh, that'd be a good one. I think it's because you can pull out somebody's intestine without them automatically dying. So okay, you so can, what, from what I've heard so far, like about the, like John Verveke's zombie discussions mm. are most horror movies are mostly fear and jump scare movies. People want to feel the thrill of feeling scared you know, while they're actually safe in a theater or their room, wherever they're watching a movie. But they're not actually horror, where horror is actually the world is not what you thought it was. Yeah. So your worldview is getting destroyed. Right. And so most... Zombie movies are fear movies, not horror. horror. Not the strict definition of horror. Right. Yeah. Right. Not the cultural definition of horror, which is different. Right. So yeah. this is more of a, I'd say, like, survival adventure movie. Yeah. Rather than a horror fear zombie movie. And that's probably why we separate it. Yeah. From other zombie movies. It's horror in a way because their way. Right, their of, entire world. Their destroyed. entire worldview is destroyed. I right. mean, he goes from somebody who just accepts that this skyscraper on fire is going to be dealt with. Right, but it's not whatever caused that. Right. So the way that he views the world gets flipped. Maybe up. we like it because it's actually more of a real horror movie. Yeah. I think it's because we actually drive the plot with real concrete narrative. Plausible character plausible interactions. Plausible character interactions. And not just... So they create a sense of horror, a sense of fear, through things like, okay, my loved ones are four cars in front of me. I'm four cars behind. I have to get to them. So they have to go through these zombies, and it doesn't feel contrived. And then we don't overdo it. There's not blood and whatever flying everywhere, and that's not what they use to create the fear. It's literally just like the way they have structured the zombies themselves and the way they have structured the world in which our characters are interacting with these zombies. So out in the open... All you'd have to do is wait till nighttime, right? Really, all they have to do when they get off the train is it's too bad they couldn't talk to the engineer and be like, hey, if you wait till nightfall, 
we can all just walk over to this engine. No one's going to know. Right. They can't find us as long as we don't make too much noise. So really, these zombies are very uh, manageable, I guess, in that because of their weakness to darkness, uh, we just have to wait for nighttime or we have to just uh, turn off the light, close the windows, and we're fine. But we put these zombies in this enclosed space where the characters have little to no... I sent you the link for oh. zombies in Western culture. Where the characters have little to no control over their environment. They're just in a train. They can't turn the light off. They can't. So you're in a situation where you have no control over where you're going. You have no control over the environment that you are in. And you have to deal with the set of parameters set before you. And they're zombies. And it creates such wonderful, just organic tension that we don't end up having to do anything over the top to create it. Right. I think the fact that the engineer and the riders. Passengers? Passengers. That's the word I was looking (laughs) for. That's the word. The engineer and the passengers can't communicate. Yeah. And uh, I guess the only one who can communicate with the engineer Is is the conductor. Yeah. And the conductor and his walkie-talkie are stuck in car 14. And everybody's zombie there now. Yeah. So, uh, but I guess there's one-way communication. Yeah. And so the the only reason that they get off the train in that, like, the big train yard is because the engineer's getting another train ready. Right. And it's going to be leaving... Like in minutes, if the engineer had not said that, uh, I think they probably would have just waited until nighttime. Yeah. Which I'm impressed that the electrical system, like the the power generators, the power plants, yeah, are still running. Yeah, because uh, this is an electric train. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. With this electric train. Wow, they must have some robust systems. Oh, they probably do. Or they have a lot of um, like battery Yeah, backup, redundant yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I think that's why I like it. Is not, no part of it feels over the top. No part of it feels... Forced. Contrived. Yeah. Contrived. Um, but like I was saying, um, previous to that previous point, <laughs> I don't need a news story. Actually, we don't get many news stories so we do get a new story sometimes they're good sometimes they're bad just because a, a story's new doesn't mean it's good just because the story has already been told doesn't mean it's not great to hear again i think anybody who has a genre they love feels like that you're not mind seeing the same movie done over again as long as it's done better or a little bit differently i don't even mind reboots most of the time because i love to see where a, this same story is going to get taken this time around And so that's, I think, why people love, like, if you love zombie movies, you don't mind it if they're all the same most of the time. Of course, you love to see something fresh, but as long as it's just a well-done version of what you expect to see, that's fine, too. At least it's new. Right. It's a new version of it. You might get something out of it. Yeah. So I think this one is both new and a creative retelling. It was a huge hit when it came out. I mean, for good reason. It's really well done. The action sequences are so well done. They're so good. I get tired. If an action sequence is too long or if it's too over the top, that's my main problem with a lot of Marvel movies. A lot of superhero movies is I can only watch two like demigods beat each other up for so long before I'm like, can we montage this? Can we just montage this and get back to the dialogue? Uh, which is probably why I... Marvel has passed me by in general. Yeah. Maybe we should do a movie series with Kate because Kate loves Marvel. She's seen everything Marvel. And it would be really interesting to put two people who really could give two shits about Marvel. I've seen most (laughs) things Marvel, but I'm not heavily invested in it. I think Mm. Kate feels... We're the whole spectrum. We're the devoted fan. We're the... I mean, all right. And the, I haven't watched anything since Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Not true. I watched The Daredevil on Netflix because Charlie Cox is pretty fucking hot. And he did a really good job as Daredevil. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I'm he won s- awards. For- I might actually. I'll watch him in the same way I watched Gong Yu and Squid Game. I will watch <laughs> every part that has Charlie Cox in it, and then I will just turn it off after that. It's like you watched She-Hulk up until Charlie Cox was in it. And then I don't think you ever went back to She-Hulk. And the only reason I didn't only watch the episode with Charlie Cox in it is because they wouldn't tell anybody when the episode with Charlie Cox was coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least I'm consistent. Yep. Do you have any questions for me about this movie? I can't think of any. And you talked to me for hours about this movie (laughs) before we even thought about doing a podcast together. Yeah. So there's not a lot of mystery left in my mind about how I feel, how you feel about this movie. (laughs) Is there any point I've made that you feel like I should talk about on the podcast? Okay. What's your favorite? I think between the first take at this, the first podcast for this movie and then this one, I don't know how much. What's your favorite part of this movie? Favorite Probably the emotional ending. Oh yeah. I really like. Tragic endings. It was a good tragic ending. Yeah. I, you know how I feel about this. Was tragic a endings. very emotionally heavy tragic ending. Yeah, it was for Sekwu. It was. It was good. Oh, the first time I watched it, I was mad. I was real, real mad. Yes. Yeah, I remember. Because uh, we made it this far. It would have been nice for him to survive. But at the same time. It works. It's kind of the culmination of his arc because we go from overtly selfish character to literally putting his hand in the mouth of a zombie to keep it from biting his daughter. Yes, he literally sacrificed himself for somebody else. For somebody else. So in a way, it makes a lot of sense because it, it does sort of put a period at the end of a really good sentence for him. But I was still real mad. It made more sense the next time I watched it. I think because I knew it was coming. And so I could kind of... Yeah, and I think if you did something like... I think I've seen this in another zombie movie. Somebody gets bit in the hand. Oh, and you cut the hand And they're like, oh no, I'm going to be a zombie. And then somebody just really quick grabs their hand, stretches their arm out, cuts their hand off, and then they don't, and, you know, ties a tourniquet on their arm. That happens in several, World War Z specifically it happens in. So I feel like in this situation, if somebody had done that, that would have felt contrived. Yeah, it would have felt like we were getting away with something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this movie did a good job of not um, metagaming. Yeah. The zombie rules to get away with something. Yeah. I also like that we don't play, that we have a child with us the entire time. Suan is with them from start to finish. And we don't play her for sympathy. A couple of times, like when they're trying to get into the train car, trying to get into car 15. And they've broken through one door and they're trying to get in the next door. Yansuk is holding the door shut and he looks through and he sees the little girl and she's crying. And that's one of the few times that we use the, but I have a child with me. Right. Thing. And really it doesn't sway anybody. They still hold the door shut. Um, But we, we don't use her for, we use her in ways that feel extremely appropriate or extremely like narrative. They make a lot of narrative sense. I mean, it's to drive the Siakwu character to try so hard. It's to create his whole character arc, but we really don't ever get the like, oh no, the zombies are going to get the little girl. And that's how we drive the tension right. thing, which I love because it's low hanging fruit. Like I mentioned in the other podcast, we got all four traditional zombie movie cannon fodder. We got a pregnant lady. We got a child. We got an old woman and a homeless guy. And they were all in there. And it was a perfect recipe for absolute bullshit 
attention right. driving. They, they could have nonsense. a lot of cards there. Yeah. Just for like superficial like anxiety. And we were expecting it. And I think that's why it's so good when we don't get it. Because we right. have every single trump card we need to create cheap tension. And we don't use any of them. I mean, we use them in that they're functioning characters. The homeless guy right. isn't a caricature. He's like a scared man. And, oh, sure, he steps on the can and they have to run. But any any one of the characters would have done that. We didn't expect it to be specifically the homeless guy. The only person who feels in any way one note is the older lady. Because we kind of forget she's even with them for yeah. a good part of it. Uh, she's really only there to get the other her sister, to open the door. Uh, and I have a hard time with their names because they're not using their names. Right. They're Jongil and Ingil. But when they're referring to each other, they're calling each other by like a specific honorific, like a... Uni. Uni right. or Nuna, which is like a my sister. But sometimes it's sister, biological sister. Sometimes it's Uni would be like my best friend, girl who's older than me. Right. But they're not using each other's names. They're using like these words for each other, which is common, extremely common, at least in Korean dramas. Uh, so they don't, it's hard to tell what somebody's name is if you're not using it over and over again. And then uh, Rachel was watching back through some scenes and she was trying to figure out if Song Hua, so when Song Hua says, after he's been bit, he says to Sekwu, hey, buddy, go. Yeah, go. I'm getting tired. But he's just going, yeah, yeah. He's not. I thought maybe he would say Hyung, which Hyung is like a my brother, my best right, friend. Like best friend. Yeah, two males who are best friends would call each other Hyung. Right. And but so, he doesn't. Yeah, Rachel thought maybe like the translation, hey, buddy, was him saying Hyung because they've bonded so much through this ordeal. Yeah, I think it's just him speaking informally. That's why they say, hey, buddy. But that would have been a... Sometimes when we translate things out of Korean, we lose a little bit of the emotional significance because so much of what their relationship is to each other is established simply by the words that they use to refer to each other. So if you do get into K-dramas, which I highly suggest you do, it's worth doing a little bit of research about some of the easy-to-recognize words for each other, like uh, Nuna, Uni, Opa, Ajushi, Ajushi, those sort of things. There's a really good podcast, which I'll link in the show notes, called Talk to Me in Korean. And they cover a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's easy to recognize. And it does increase the meaning that you can glean from a lot of conversations. Uh, so that's worthwhile. That's just a side note. Right. There's a lot of nuance there. So if you have a younger person talking to an older person using informal speech, it's almost an insult. It is an insult. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so, so sometimes they'll be yelling at each other and you don't know why. And it's because someone has used either formal or informal speech uh, when they're not supposed to. Right. So... So if you end up watching a K-drama and you're confused about why somebody got offended when somebody just talked to them, yeah, it's probably because they used the incorrect uh, formality of speech in yeah. that situation. And it goes without saying, again, like I said in the last podcast, Matt and I do not speak Korean. We are not Korean. We have watched a lot of K-dramas, but that does not make us Korean. does not give us a... Uh, deep insight into Korean culture as if we were natives. I, I'm just speaking from my own experience and from what I have learned by trying to understand what I'm watching more. We are really, really white. And I know that. And I understand that covering media that is non-Western as a very, very white person is something of a minefield. But I don't want to avoid it. It is wonderful. It is out there. It is plentiful. And it is something that I think everyone could benefit from watching. Because you don't just get a good zombie movie. 
you get a cultural commentary on a culture that is not your culture, which is fascinating because we're not just talking about zombies. We're talking about government response, the role of personal responsibility in how, what, in the outcomes of, in the outcome of what happens to the people around you. I mean, when we start out, Yun Suk and Siok Woo are effectively the same character. They are high-powered businessmen, out for themselves, accustomed to being obeyed, and Yun Suk never takes personal responsibility for the fact that his actions are harming people. But Siok Woo does, because his daughter confronts him about it. And he listens to her and he realizes he is the bad guy. He is the villain in this scenario. And so he goes on one path and Yun Suk goes on the other path. And sure, they both die. <laughs> but Yun Suk dies in a way that harms people. He takes people down with it. Siok Wu does everything he can to ensure that he won't hurt anyone. He leaves. He leaves his daughter. Because he knows he's not safe to be around anymore. So he throws himself off the back of the train. Now, if Yun Suk had at any point taken personal responsibility and thrown himself off the train, Gongyu wouldn't have had to die. But he never did. So it's a cultural commentary on personal responsibility, selfishness. So I think that's what makes it a good zombie movie. And would we get that out of an American movie? I don't know. Right. I think that's a message that you wouldn't get out of an American-made movie. Or it would be so heavy-handed. I mean, I'm not saying someone can't do it, but generally when you watch a cultural commentary about your own culture, it comes off as heavy-handed or heavy-handed or like didactic. Right. Where and you're like, yeah, thing, obviously I know. Another thing I get out of Korean media is how readily the men are the how readily the men will portray emotionally vulnerable yes extremely characters. emotional yes. like crying yeah like there's a moment where Siokwu's in the bathroom and it's after his daughter's like am i going to see my mom again is is mom going to be there when we get to busan and he's like maybe and so he goes in the bathroom and it hits him like everything that's happened he tries to call his wife and she doesn't pick up and he just, he breaks. He starts to cry and it's a really emotional moment and he gets kind of interrupted and he cleans himself up. But I think he only does that because of the dramatic situation that they're in and he doesn't want his daughter to see him crying. Often male Emotion is not portrayed as something shameful, right. which I like. We Ditto. don't get a good, sobbing, emotionally available man in a lot of Western media. Because you've got to be stoic, ripped, six and a half feet tall, just hitting on everything that walks, as long as it's got tits. Um. Yeah, you get the caricature, the He-Man, the caricature strongman who uh, he's cool and super hot because he's not emotionally available. And then it's like when I do fall. So when we're, I've been reading A Court of Thorns and Roses, <laughs> as you know, I, I'm also attempting to read it and it's hard going. <laughs> <laughs> so Reese is our main character. And we get a little bit. I see where she's trying to give him emotional vulnerability. But it's only like, I'm willing to tell you that I love you. Other emotions are still not something that he discusses with Feyre. And even in this situation where we're supposed to see him as emotionally available, he's not. Because the full spectrum of emotion isn't there. And so... I think that's one thing that we both enjoy about Korean dramas and like male friendship. They can, they portray deep 
meaningful male friendship that is non-sexual, non-intimate. It is just a deep, meaningful friendship between two guys. And we don't get a ton of that. So um, in the in the train car with the baseball team. Yeah. When Jin Hee comes in and she's trying to... Yeah, like, she's get, strutting. She's trying to get Young yeah. um, Gook to admit that he likes her. Uh, you can see like multiple groups of uh, other baseball players like wrestling and tickling each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the norm. Yes. That's okay. Yeah. You can have a meaningful, sometimes physical relationship with a man, a friend, and it's not seen as a sexual thing. At least in K dramas, again, right? We we are going off of <laughs> this what is we the see lens here. we have. This is yeah. the lens through which we can view this culture, and we have spent a fair amount of time <laughs> doing that. And I do like to read synopsises written up by people who have a deeper understanding of the culture than I do, to sort of tune my lens to see it more clearly. So I can't say that we're 100% accurate, but this is what we perceive in the media. And this is the perception that we like. I mean, this is the thing that we perceive with our lens that we like. And we get to see it in this movie too, where Sangwa and Seok Wu don't have to like manly chest slap at each other. Right. They get to look at each other after Seok, after Sangwa gets bitten and Seok Wu looks at him and he tears up. Like, oh, shit, I liked this guy, and now he's dead. He just died. He got bit. He's He's dead. He's still here. He's still active, but he's gone now. Yep. And so they get, like, a tearful moment together, and then he gets to, like, cry about it a little bit. And it's okay. We don't have to, like, I made a man face. The, like, the eyebrow down, like. Purse lips, like keep a stiff upper lip. Oh, girl, we're men. I'm sacrificing myself for my woman thing, and it uh, it feels so genuine. It feels so genuine because a lot of times the portrayal of men in media doesn't really reflect. I mean, I think that there are men in America who have emotional reactions, <laughs> overt emotional reactions. It's just that because of media, we're taught to not. You're taught to not do that. And we get, right. and of course, there's a lot of stuff for the portrayal of women that women are supposed to adhere to because that's how we're portrayed in media. That's and it's not healthy. And it's not healthy yeah. and it's not accurate. And of course, Korean media has its downfalls just as much as American media does. But I think seeing different perspectives is so important and it's worth the time and the effort to do it. Especially when you get a good zombie movie out of it. An emotional zombie movie. An emo- it's a zombie movie with heart. It really is. I mean, you aren't just mad at the characters the entire time. There's a couple moments where you're mad at them, but they're not doing something that you wouldn't believe a person would do in that situation, which is usually me during every horror movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much my entire horror movie commentary is, What? That's so dumb. What are you doing that for? I don't. I didn't have a ton of those moments in Train to Busan. All right. Well, this was an experiment about just chatting through the movie instead of working through it on the synopsis. How do you feel like it went? I think it went pretty well. I think our listeners could uh, give us some feedback. Could they? And if they wanted to give us some feedback, where could they email us? Well, they can give us feedback. On the feedback form, link in the show notes. We have a feedback form? Yeah. The Oh, no. Well, I guess... We have the, a suggestion the, form. But the suggestion form has a question about... Oh, yeah. What do you like? Go ahead and suggest something, and at the bottom, put in your feedback. Perfect idea, And you don't have Matthew. to fill out all of the items on that form. You can no, you fill do. out just one. You do. They're all required. They're all required? Honey. No, no they're not. It's a lie. It's a lie. Actually, you know what they are. The only optional one is the feedback one. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, so you could just put in like a dash or a space. <laughs> don't, in no, the no, other no, no, don't give them the workaround. You have to put in a suggestion. You have to put in a suggestion. This is how we get user interaction. Don't give me that look. Don't give me that look. You can also email us at Rachel at strangeandbeautiful.club or you can email Matt at Matt at strangeandbeautiful.club or you can email us both at the hosts at strangeandbeautiful.club. You can also slide into my Instagram DMs <laughs> if you go to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club on Instagram or and here's the best idea. Join the Patreon on a tier that gets you access to the Discord channel. And then just talk to us. We've tested it. It works. Currently, we have one guy in there. He's gotten a lot of interaction with Rachel and Matt. <laughs> so, congratulations, Ryan. <laughs> Another shout out for Ryan. <laughs> Another shout out for Ryan. Uh, yeah, I know he's looking forward to hearing our second version of oh, the he, Trinity Oh, he was song. excited because this was something he's finally watched. <laughs> or he... This is finally something that he's actually watched. Ahead of time. Ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, you can find links to all the things at strangeandbeautiful.club, which is our website. And that's pretty much it. I'm going to leave it right there. Unless you have something you need to add. Rewatch score? We haven't done a rewatch score in a while. What's your rewatch score for Train to Busan? Seven. Seven. Yeah. Every time I see it, I think, mm, that's a good movie. But I don't necessarily want to watch it. I think because I'm not always in the mood for scary, horror, terror, fear, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, and this is a, I refuse to watch it dubbed, so I have to sit and watch this movie. Right. You yes. can't just have it on in the background. Which is a secondary benefit of watching something with subtitles is absolutely no one cannot pay attention to the movie. I mean, you cannot look at the movie. You won't know what's going on. But you have to sit and dedicate your attention to a movie, which, hands up, whose biggest pet peeve is when you're trying to share your favorite movie with somebody and they pull out their motherfucking phone? Especially if it's a movie, a non-English movie with subtitles. Hint, hint, my hand is up. It is up. All the way up. That's something that I really miss is when you get together with a group of friends you put on a movie and everybody just sits and enjoys the movie even if they're not enjoying it at least they're making commentary or something instead of just pulling out their phone and whiling away the hour and a half like oh yeah 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 i'm paying attention no you are not I don't care if that offends anybody. I'm sorry that offended you. I don't know why I said I'm sorry. I'm not actually sorry. Um, if you're that person and someone's trying to share their favorite movie with you, I don't care that it just offended you. I don't. Put your phone down. Put your phone down. Somebody made that movie. They wrote it. Somebody wrote it. Somebody acted in it. I mean, a lot of effort went into bringing that to your screen. Put down your phone. Your Instagram comments will wait. Don't worry. I'll probably post something while the movie's on, but don't worry. It'll be there. You can keep up with the Strange and Beautiful Book Club after the movie. After the movie. So this was your judgy moment with Rachel. <laughs> Matt gets judgy moments with Rachel all the time. He's, over, he's so unfazed over there. I'm an expert on this now. <laughs> he's expert on this. Listen, this is an opinion-based podcast, so there, that was my opinion. And now that we've wrapped it up three times, I guess we'll just go ahead and for realsies wrap it up. So. Remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.
Rotisserie chicken. Rotisserie chicken. Hang on. I'm not quite covered. I can't baste properly. I'm not. Can't. Stupid pillow. Absolutely no reason for you to hold on to the blanket like that. I covered up my notebook. Okay. <laughs> nice one. Thank you.